welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 164 for Saturday the 3rd of August 2019. Coming up this week, I've got all the gossip from 20 Books Edinburgh. It's back to writing, book number 21 this time, and my skyvitis is cured for now. I'll let you know if my latest BookBub submission was successful, and my new thriller covers from Stuart Bache are in, and they're looking great. Welcome to this week's diary. Just to remind you, if you could hear the sound of my fan to my right-hand side here, it's because it's still pretty warm and airless in the UK. When I listen back, I could never hear it, but just in case you can, if you've got bionic ears, I just thought I'd mention that. And of course, I could always just tell you whether my BookBub submission was successful or not, but that wouldn't be show business, would it? I've got to keep that teased and keep you hanging on to the edge of your seat. Let's get into this week's word count, first of all. And if you recall last week, I was uh, apologising, making excuses for my skyvitis. I was supposed to have been planning two years after. And I'd had to record last week's diary earlier because I was going to 20 Books Edinburgh. And I, I hadn't got the planning done for two years after. Let me tell you that the skyvitis was cured. And actually, after I recorded the diary... I sat down and sketched out the 30 chapters and then finished that work and improved that work on the Friday before I went to 20 Books Edinburgh. Sometimes the work gets done, just not in the order that I wanted to do it. Sometimes I feel like I need to just have a little warm up before I actually start the work. So I'll talk to you about my writing in a moment or two, but I've been getting up really early to do the writing this week because we're in summer holiday mode. And sometimes I just feel like I need 10 minutes to have a quick look at the Facebooks, the emails, and I don't hang on for ages. I don't get embroiled. I know that's always the warning people give you, but it's just just gentle stretching exercises in the office. It's the equivalent of that. And then I'm ready to dive in, but I'm not quite ready. I'm never quite primed to open up the computer and dive straight in and begin writing. And it was very much like that last Thursday in that I... When, I, when I'm when i feeling in that kind of mood, when I don't get anything done, what I try and do is I, I shuffle the order of the tasks that I've got to do. And as it turned out on Thursday, it was simply that I wasn't ready to do that work at that point in time. So I was productive in the meantime. I got the diary recorded and edited and processed. And actually, when I'd done that, and I, I can't remember what happened, maybe I had a little break in between, I was actually ready to get on with it. And I just sat down, forced myself into my seat and got those 30 chapters sketched out. Now, I have to tell you that because, obviously, I've been writing that book this week. I've started a brand new book this week. So Two Years After is a 30-chapter book. It's going to be 50,000 words or thereabouts. I don't quite feel that I've wrestled the story into shape, but I have sketched out a story. I've got 30 chapters. And to a certain extent, I'm going to trust emergence here. Now, it's interesting. I was talking to a couple of people over the weekend at 20 Books, just talking them through the plot line. And and people seem to like the, the plot line. So that did actually help me to solidify how the story was going to end. It's got a nice little twist at the end, quite a kind of frightening twist, what I call the jaw-dropping moment. But you, you generally want that moment of, uh, when you when you read a psychological thriller, when you get this this shock. 
And so I think I've got that moment now. And also I worked out, I think it was either in bed last night or this morning, I figured out just what the story needs. It just needs the insert of a of an early scene. And then I think I got that story down. But because I've sketched out 30 chapters, if I just turn up and write what I've planned, I will have a story there. Any little tweaks I need to do are going to be minor. So what I'm going to do tomorrow is just spend an hour doing an insert at the beginning of the story really happy with the beginning of the story but it just needs what it what it needs is it didn't have its inciting moment it has a very exciting beginning but it needed to have an inciting moment I just was trying to figure out a way to do that and at the moment the story is a very slow burn the tension builds and you get the sense of everything crashing in on the central character and her of her world going awry. But I, I just felt after I'd written yesterday that I, I just needed to set a little bit more tension up from the start. But I figured out how to do that now. And I will just do a little bit of extra writing tomorrow. It probably won't even take me half an hour, to be honest with you, because I, I know what I'm going to say. I might even get it done today, to be honest with you. Uh, but it, uh, then I think I'll be on a, a firm plot course. So I started writing pretty well. It was 5 a.m. or thereabouts the last couple of days. In actual fact, I needed to start writing from six. So my my theory over summer, and I've only got to do this over eight days. So I, I needed to do this Thursday and Friday this week. And then I'm going to have to do it. We're, we're going on our jollies next week, or we're going to traveling and my week's disrupted next week. But the week after that, week after that, and the week after that, I've got three weeks in a row when I just need to be getting up at five or early on the Thursday and Friday to get my writing done. And the reason I'm doing that is to clear the day so that we can go out for family fun time. And, and it's a way of ensuring that I get the writing done. Now, to be quite honest with you, the kids show their faces so late. Now, they wouldn't do it if we were going out, but they show their faces so late. <laughs> Frankly, I could just get up at nine and do the writing. And I think I'd slam it done in time. But I do want to just make sure it, it's, it's out the way. And so my full attention is given away to having some family fun time. The other thing this week is I've had the car in for annual services. So I've, I've been skitting backwards and forwards, dropping it off and picking it off, doing it, picking it up, doing all that kind of nonsense. So it has been a little bit disrupted this week. So I was up. I, I'm supposed to write. What I've got on my schedule is to write from 6 till 7, have a cup of tea, write from 7.15 until 8.15, take my wife a cup of tea and get up and have breakfast and have a yak. And then probably by the time I'm showered and we've done all of that, um, I'm ready for the day. Just write the last section, the last of my three segments. Write that between ten and eleven, and then I'm completely clear for when the kids show their faces at last. That's that's the theory of that. But in actual fact, on Thursday I woke up just after five, so I got up and, and started. So I, I got that writing done really fast. I also wanted to start a little bit earlier because when I'm writing the first chapter of a brand new book, it's always just slightly uh, harder. You don't hit the ground running. Because you started a book, that first chapter is quite a tough chapter to write. So it took slightly more than an hour, that chapter. So I was happy to start writing early. But I was still done by 8 o'clock. I got my writing done by 8. Um, and then I, I, I did. I took the car off for service time and then came back and, and wrote my last section. So I, I was done quite early yesterday, to be honest with you, even dropping the car off for a service across the town. And today, again, it's not very late in the morning and I've got all the work done the writing's done for the day 
I got up, I think it was just after five today, but I started writing at half past five. I did those gentle stretching exercises where I had a look at a few emails, check me and come overnight on Amazon. You know, all the things that we do. Um, uh, but I don't get embroiled. You see, I, I know, I know people say, Oh, don't open your emails, start writing, but I don't have that problem. I really take 10 minutes just to scan everything, see what money I made overnight. Just, I just check all my consoles. If you want, do a bit of what I call triage and then I shut it down and I get started. So I don't get embroiled. The other thing is I'm severely reducing my social media use at the moment. I've got a real kind of bee in my bonnet about social media at the moment. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really doing it personally anymore. The, the, the problem is, and I, and I might suggest to the family that we move on to WhatsApp or something slightly less intrusive. The kids all use Discord. And I heard somebody talking about this at uh, 20 books the other day, but I, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't count myself as an old funny daddy, and I think I'm really open to ideas. But Discord is like, it's like mayhem in there. The, the kids all have Discord accounts, and I have, I have Discord on my phone. But I tell you what, I can't get the hang of is they keep changing their usernames, and also the usernames aren't their real name. So, and the other thing is, is they use icons which don't match their faces in any way. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at the kids on on discord thinking i don't know who i'm talking to here I, I just can't figure it out in fact in fact i have a discord account and following suit get you know getting down with the kids i did the same and i have to check the accounts to make sure i'm called because it's so long since i've used it so i'm not a big fan of discord but i have heard some talk that authors are using it quite successfully so we may go to WhatsApp or something like that i'm not quite sure yet but anyhow i've 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 completely cut down cut back my personal Facebook use. So I've just, I'm just basically down to family on personal Facebook use and it's all locked down. And really what I want to do is just, just do social media public facing. That's really what I'm aiming towards. But also this week, I've put a new app on my mobile phone. It's called Focus Me. It's a free app uh, for Android. And I've locked out social media on my phone. So I, I removed the apps. I've removed the Facebook app. LinkedIn, Twitter, anything else? Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm sure there's another one in there too. Uh, oh, Instagram. I've removed all those apps from my phone, but I was still looking at them through a browser. So now to force myself, it, what I want to stop really is this scrolling on a mobile phone. It drives me spare. I used to be an intelligent person who read books. And now, like everybody else, I'm scrolling on my phone. It's that scrolling I want to stop. It's that idle scrolling that you do. So I've used Focus Me, and I've locked social media on my phone. The only thing I can use is Messenger, which is what we talk to the kids with. As a family, that's how we, we communicate on Messenger. But I've locked and blocked all social media, so I can't sit there scrolling through Facebook posts and things like that anymore. It's completely locked out on my phone. And I've also put temporary locks on my Gmail, my Telegram account, and something else, something else that I tend to scroll through, so that I could do, if I'm out in town, for instance, I could lock them, or if I'm at a restaurant or something like that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm good at in restaurants, actually. I don't look at my phone. But um, it's this scrolling that I want to stop. And in actual fact, of course, I haven't suffered a bit. What happens is that I don't look at social media all day i come home at night have a cup of tea after tea and i look at it then and surprise surprise you could do all your social media in half an hour after tea you don't need to be sitting there all day so that's really what i'm trying to control that terrible bad habit of uh, of just flicking through everything i cannot think for the life of me why i started telling you that but there you go hopefully it might be useful to you. if you if you want to break that social media habit the app is called focus me and it's an on android 
Why did I start telling you that? Anyhow, let's get back to what I'm supposed to be telling you, which is my word counts. So yeah, up at 5am for a couple of days. I don't particularly like it. I have, I have to say, I know, I know I'm aware of a couple of people who are doing 5am starts. So a couple of people I'll mention later on in the podcast who are at 20 books. So I know that uh, John Cronshaw is doing five o'clock starts. And I know that Claire Sager's doing five o'clock starts or has been doing five o'clock writing starts this week. I'm, I'm only doing it because I'm on summer holidays at the moment and I want to write. I want to keep writing and make sure the writing gets done. It's not a permanent thing for me. I've tried this five o'clock business before and I like it. I get it. But I don't have a problem with productivity. So I don't feel that I need to get up at five o'clock. If I had problems with productivity and organizing my day, if my family constantly disturbed me while I was in this study working, they they don't. My family know that when the door's closed, they leave me to it. Uh, Because I don't have those problems. Also, because I, I only work three days of the week, I have two days a week that are clear. I don't feel like I need to do the 5 a.m. start thing. Again, if my kids were young, when my kids were young and they used to get up young, to be honest, my kids have always been really good about getting up early. Uh, you know, we trained them really early. We got them clocks when they were young and we, we taught them the number that, that they, uh, even when they didn't know how to count and things, we taught them the number to recognize and said, you can get up when the clocks at that time, otherwise read. So the kids have always been good, but they, you know, they still get up early, however well trained they are. Um, so if I still had young kids, I'd have to get up at five. I'd have to do that, but like, I can't get my kids out of bed now. Uh, now they're, they're, sort of you know teenagers and young adults I can't get them out of bed that's the problem so I don't have those problems which is why I don't feel like I need to start at 5am but I wouldn't hesitate to do the 5am thing if my life was structured differently um but I you know I'm productive in the time I've got I don't want to write anymore when I'm working three days a week somewhere else so I'm happy with my productivity but you know the 5am thing I totally get it um, I did early shifts for years. What I used to love about doing early shifts is that the world was your own at that time. Uh, you know, you, you put the kettle on, you got your breakfast, the house was yours, it was quiet. And when you drove along the roads, they were quiet. So I totally get the 5am thing, but it's not something that I feel I need to do. But I will be doing it over eight days across the summer holidays, simply as a time management thing, a temporary time management thing over summer. On Thursday then, I wrote the first 5,187 words of two years after. And on Friday, I wrote 5,170 words. So Friday, that's the day I've just finished doing that. The the words are there. It's it's good. As I said, the story is coming fine. I know all the characters. I know the setting. I know the story. The only doubt I had, which I, I can course correct now, is that last week when I'd done the planning, I wasn't quite sure of the end. I am sure of the end now, having spoken to people at 20 books and having written the first 10,000 words, certainly the first 5,000 words yesterday, I just felt like that the book needed a firmer inciting incident and that I'm going to write in either today or tomorrow. So um, I feel like I'm underway now. Now, This is only a 50,000 word book. Uh, say only a 50,000 word book, but it's not going to take me long to write this one. I'm going to be writing another 5,000 words on Sunday. We'll already be up to 15,000 words. But next week, I'm not writing at all. There are no writing days scheduled next week. And then I'm writing the book over the next kind of couple of weeks after that. So I'm scheduled to finish this book on, he says, looking at his stats, 
the 30th of August. This book will be finished in a month's time on the 30th of August because I've got several, well, I've got a couple of interruptions coming up uh, with summer holiday stuff. And, and that's how it was always planned out. Uh, I do have some manoeuvrability to get extra writing days in there too. So depending on how I'm feeling, I, I might actually get some extra writing in there too, but we'll, we'll see. Certainly by the end of August, this book will be finished. I've also managed to squeeze in some editing this week. So I managed to get the last, I don't know how many words was it? 5,000? No, 10,000. 10, the last 10,000 words of um, One Fatal Error, the book that's going to be called One Last Chance when it's relaunched. So I finished that book off and uh, it was a light edit. I'm happy with that book. Having, having read it, I haven't read that book for two years, maybe, since I wrote it. It was edited properly anyway. Uh, it had a Helen Fazal edit and all I've had to change. I have, there's been nothing. I think there was one spelling that I changed. I think it was a double use. It was a repeat actually. It wasn't a spelling. I think it was two ons, uh, in a sentence rather than one. That was the only thing I'd spotted. And, um, what else? No, that was it. And then the only other thing I changed stylistically was I told you this last week that I originally had somebody's hand being chopped off. And in this book, it was a finger being chopped off. I've just lightened that off. And actually, it works just as well. It just makes it, I guess it turns it from being something more extreme to making it slightly more cosy. I think a finger being chopped off is fine. And also the guy in this book, it's basically a a place where millionaires go to gather. That's the scenario. And this guy's a guitarist. And, and all I really wanted to do was make sure that he couldn't play his guitar anymore uh, and so taking a finger off does just that so it, when, when I did it I thought this is actually this is perfectly reasonable I don't think I changed anything else in that book just the odd turn of phrase I just double checked the facts I know one of the things in that book where there are a lot of baddies and I know that when we were going through the baddies Helen Fazal and I were counting them up to make sure I'd named everybody described everybody consistently and killed everybody or accounted from the for them at the end so yep that book was fine it's good to go uh, check my author note so that file is already um and, and, you know ready to re-release in September which is when it gets re-released that book's going to go on 23rd of September so I've now got well now you see her slightly different because it, it's going through a slightly different process but it's kind of off my plate now you see her uh, Dead of Night is done one last chance is also done now and I will be moving on to No More Secrets which is Burden of Guilt which again will be a very simple edit I might change the twist in that book when I come to edit it I might just make the twist slightly stronger in that book it has a really exciting end but I, I don't know whether the ending, I literally put the ending or the solution to that book in the last sentence. That was, I was trying to get it right to the last sentence if I could. So you didn't really know what had happened until the last sentence. But it might be, I might change it. That's all I'm saying. So when I come to that book in a couple of weeks time, when I come to edit it, I might just change that twist just to make that a little bit stronger there. So I'm delighted to be writing again. I'm delighted that that plan got done. It was, Cut a little bit fine, that one. But that is, of course, the tight time scale that I'm on at the moment with this rapid release. I do want to get it done. Of course, I don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning to write, but I do want to keep, I do want to get this rapid release going. So I just have to turn up and do the work. I would rather be laying in bed till eight o'clock in the morning and coming round at a time of my choosing. Uh, though I didn't get up with the alarm. Funny thing is, is when I did breakfast shows for years with the BBC, 
at its very worst, I used to have to get up at 2 or 2.30 in the morning. My shift started at 4.30 and I had an hour's drive to get there. I was an hour away from where I worked. And uh, so it was really early. That was very punishing, that was. And I used to work really long days because I, I used to present that program and then had to produce another program, which didn't start until 2.30. And often I'd still be editing pieces. This is in the days of tape. Uh, while the program was on air, getting stuff ready for that day's program. We used to bang out a lot of slots on those programs, uh, you know, in, in terms of production. It was like a sausage factory. So I was, I was quite tired during that time. But I, I never woke up with an alarm I never needed the alarm I always had it set but this, I don't know I, I, I'd never rely on it but I seemed to be able to get up I always seemed to be able to set an alarm in my head and then jump out of bed so I, I told myself I wanted to be up at five o'clock and, and I wake up at five and then I check the clock and rather than falling asleep as you would do if it was too early I just get out of bed and that's another thing that I learned from doing years of earlies and presenting breakfast shows is that ability to wrench yourself out of bed. When my family say to me, oh, I'm tired, I can't get out of bed early, my view is it's a bit like writer's block, isn't it? You know, is there such a thing as writer's block? I don't think there is. I think it's just you can't be bothered. Uh, you're not forcing through it. And it's the same about getting up early. Is there such a thing as a person who can't get up early? I don't think so. I think there's just a thing as a person who won't get up early. That's my personal opinion. And I'm speaking as somebody who never used to get up early because I used to sleep in when I was the same age as my kids. But when you have to get up early, you have to get up early. It's all there is to it. If you've ever worked shifts, you'll know that. So um, don't like getting up at five o'clock, but if it has to be done, it has to be done. It's only eight days over the summer holidays. Okay, let's move on from my writing then to 20 books. And I was, of course, at 20 Books Edinburgh last weekend. I jumped on a train about one o'clock, I think it was, on Friday afternoon. I was up there by two something. Edinburgh was heaving. When I got off the train on Friday, I asked my Uber driver, I said, is it is it Edinburgh Festival already? I, I thought it wasn't Edinburgh Festival yet. He said, no, no, it's not Edinburgh Festival. But Friday, it was absolutely heaving uh, on, the, on the station because I'd got a wheelie case. And I was dodging people left, right and centre. By the time I went home on the Sunday evening, it was a lot quieter. It was more what I'm used to at, at Edinburgh. But it was very busy on the Friday. I used Uber. Edinburgh has Uber. I love Uber. I'll never use another taxi again unless it's under duress. So I got my, my, my Uber taxi and off we went. And it delivered me to my accommodation. And uh, my accommodation conveniently was only five minutes away from the venue. But it, it was, you know what it's like when you've got your phone and you've got google maps on your phone you never quite work out i don't know whether there's a way of doing this but i i usually have to walk to you know 50 50 meters down the street to work out which way i'm going up and down a street i don't know why google maps doesn't have a compass on that adjusts to, to point you which way you need to be walking but, but it doesn't so it took me about 10 minutes to get there first time round. but once i'd worked out the shortcut and moved all the extraneous bits out it was five minutes it was lovely it was just around the corner really really good so I had a meeting with John and James Evans at 3.30 at the university. So I messaged John, uh, arranged to meet him, went straight over, got a cup of tea, as you do, because I've been on a train for an hour without tea. Can you believe that? So first place I went to was a cup of tea. Me, uh, John and James had a uh, cup of tea. We had our meeting, discussed the release of the book. So at the moment, I think the first book is probably going to be released in August, towards the end of August. They're going through an editor now. The reason for that delay is that the normal editor was not able to accommodate the three books, so they've had to find another editor. It's a slight delay on the release of those. Uh, but those books will be coming out very soon. And the 
covers will be in my hands very soon. I'll be able to show you the covers fairly soon as well. So looking forward to those three books uh, being released. And I really love the way John and James, I'll be interviewing James for the September interview episode. So that'll be running first Monday of September. So um, you can hear all about that. Sorry, I'll be interviewing John, not James. But I really love the way that they've written into their next book, that I've basically taken one of their characters, written this character into my trilogy, and then I write him out at the end of my trilogy. He returns to their universe. I love the way they've explained his removal from their universe to go off on a secret mission, which is effectively my book. And then I get rid of him at the end of my book, and then my books, my the kind of sub-universe that I've created in their world, um, I've set that up so I could just keep writing those stories and having separate adventures. That's the way the whole... It was all set up. So if if we make any money and we all want to continue, I could just write another trilogy and send them on another adventure. But I won't use their characters anymore. It'll just be my characters who are strong enough to stand alone. So in the first book I wrote, the character that I cross-fertilized was very strong. And then basically I made him less important over the course of the three books. So that in the end, my characters were dominance and can stand on their own two feet you are invested hugely in my characters and he just disappeared um, at the end he had a good send-off but um, I, I got rid of him at the end and he's back to John and James's universe so I was really happy with the way they've done that quite excited about that it works beautifully in their universe so having spoken to John and James I where how did I get down to the bar I must did I message Jerry Evanoff I can't remember. Somehow I got down to the bar. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? I was, actually, I was probably starving. That's probably why I, I got to the bar. I was ready for some food. They had a really nice bar there. The, the food was fabulous. And um, so I went down to the bar, uh, had a drink and had something to eat. And I met uh, Jerry Evanoff there. Uh, Jerry had set up with a, a laptop. And Jerry Evanoff is the host of the New Writer podcast. You know, I've been bigging up his podcast recently. and We've been chatting uh, online. So fabulous to see Jerry in the flesh. This is what I love about 20 books, or one of the many things I love about 20 books, is it brings people from all over the world. Where else would I get to actually see Jerry in person? When I was an internet marketer, I spoke to people all over the world, and often you wouldn't meet them until you had these meetups. And it's the same with 20 books. So nice to be able to see people. So I think I spent, yeah, I spent the Friday evening in the bar, I think, meeting people. Uh, not drinking, I hasten to add. Um, I think I probably had a pint. That's all I tend to have these days, and that's my lot. But the grub was good, and it was good to be meeting people there as well. So I just wanted to give you really my kind of hits and headlines from 20 books, what I enjoyed about it and what really worked for me. So, so the first thing about 20 books is that it is a great event. I mean, I would say it is currently the best and biggest indie author event that there is. Now, I know that uh, Jim Kukla and Brian Cohen also do an event. And interestingly, I was talking to Bill Kokus about that. I interviewed him for the podcast episode that's going to run on Monday, interview with Bill Kokus. And he went to Brian's and um, Jim's event. And that sounds like a pretty good event. But obviously, it's it's too far away at the moment for me to go. Very expensive, very disruptive in terms of time. But Bill was bigging up that event. So that sounds very strong as well. But I think, you know, at a, on an international stage, I think it's fair to say that 20 Books is the, the best. It's the farest reaching uh, group of authors in that they've had one uh, in the UK, in the US. They've done one, I think, in Australia, haven't they? They did one in Bali. So they're, they're all over the world. They've got international reach and people really travel for that event. 
the the next thing is that Craig Martell actually recognised me, but embarrassingly, I didn't recognise him. So I was I was getting around in at the bar and ordering my food, and this gentleman comes up to me, and um, Craig had certainly on that day, I think he shaved it off later, but he got a bit of a beard and he had a cap on. And out of context, this this chap started talking to me and saying, asking how I was, and you know me there thinking, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I know I know you, and. Um, and then, then I recognised that it was uh, Craig, but I didn't recognise him immediately. It was a bit, which was a bit embarrassing. Um, but he recognised me, so I was quite, uh, quite pleased by that. So hopefully, it means I haven't aged too much since you saw me last. Uh, but nice to see Craig there, and uh, you know, Craig, I really appreciate all the time that goes into organising these things. You think of the rate of knots that Craig's writing books at, and he pulls all these events together, all the money to handle, and things like that. Um, fantastic. So that was great. Lovely to see Craig. I've already said that I met up with John and James Evans. That was great. It's the first time I've met. I've met uh, John, but I hadn't met James before. And we managed to get a photograph of us all together in the same room at the same time. So again, when we start to, to publicise things, when I talk to, to James and... Sorry, I keep calling, saying James, it's John I'm going to be talking to. When I talk to John for this podcast, and that interview will run in about a month's time, we've got a picture of us all together. Unfortunately, though, there was a, a chap who was taking really great headshots. They're beautiful. He's posted them in the 20 Books Edinburgh group. And I hadn't twigged on to that at the time. And I was messaging John and saying, oh, I wish we'd realised that, because um, he took some beautiful photographs of people. And, you know, really, we'd have been better off getting one of those photos done. They're, they're beautiful, professional quality shots. But we missed that opportunity, unfortunately. But never mind. We got, we got a photo of us all together. I saw lots of... Uh, Pals of the podcast, if you want to call them that. So hello to Claire Sager, to Dan Wilcox, John Cronshaw, Alison Ingleby, Sam Livey, Meg Jolly, Ewan Lawson, Dr. Ewan Lawson, who co-write The uh, Healthy Author with Joanna Penn, uh, sort of author pals who I see around and about. It's great to see those. I met and chatted to many others as well. So that's always great uh, to do that. I think my biggest disappointment was missing Stuart Bache. Uh, uh, talk about Stuart in a moment or two because he's just delivered my covers. But um, I, I kind of missed him. I, I wanted to catch him at the end of his talk when he'd been on stage. And you know, you know what it's like at conferences. You get talking to somebody and I, I can't even remember where I was. And, and, I, and I thought, oh, I'll catch Stuart because you know what it's like. They come off stage and people nobble them. And, and I, I got, I was talking to somebody who I wanted to catch as well, because it was Sunday and I wanted to make sure I had stalked everybody that I wanted to talk to. I still didn't get there, incidentally. There were still a couple of people I wanted to talk to that I didn't, uh, by the time I left. But, um, he'd gone because I think he'd interrupted his holiday. So I was, I was disappointed about that. I wanted to say hello to Stuart because obviously this is the second lot of covers he'd done and it's really nice to put a name to a face. I do want to say though that the, um, that the biggest treat um, for me was to meet um, Jerry Evanoff in person and Sarah Painter uh, in person. I know both of them listen to this podcast, but um, the, the treat last year was to meet all the other people that I, I, I've just mentioned before for the first time. But um, I, I haven't met Sarah before and I obviously haven't set, uh, met Jerry before, but, but we talk and you feel like you know these people because you listen to them on their podcast, you know their voice, um, you, you get their updates on social media, you feel like you know them already like their friends already but you haven't met them in person so it was great that was the, the highlight for me to be able to sit with Jerry and spend some time with Jerry and have a, a yak with him and also to meet Sarah I think was that on the Saturday evening Sarah really just really great to meet these people and have a chat and find on that you get on really well in real life too and you've got sort of so much in common so uh, those were the, the kind of meeting people highlights uh, meeting new people uh, highlights for me I should say 
I also, on the Saturday morning, I told you I was going to do a park run. I did a park run. So on the Saturday, I it was it was wet. It was wet, but I don't care. Uh, but I, I ordered an Uber, got this Uber from my place of residence to to do the park run. It was a be- beautiful park in Edinburgh. I was there half an hour early. It didn't matter. I was there for the park run. Be- beautiful park in, in the city. Um, had a huge pond in it and birds. And I think uh, the lady who organized the park run, I had a chat to her beforehand. She said, I think they have otters there. I'm sure she said they have otters there as well. Um, but, oh, my goodness, it was a great park run. I got... I got a good time, uh, which won't bother you here, but I got a good time. I regularly, by the way, this does relate to this podcast in that I, I've told you that my, I want to run a, a below 30 minute time, but it has to be at Carlisle. I've now run a sub 30 minute park run on about four occasions now. I did one on Saturday as well, but I'm not counting it. It has to be Carlisle, which is slightly more hilly. So this was a, a flatter park run and I did it in about moment it was 28 minutes 29 minutes something like that so i'm being really strict with myself and it's not counting i've got to get a sub 30 minute run at carlisle but i am now regularly getting them down below 30 but it was the wettest part run i've ever done i did plan ahead i I took a plastic tesco bag with me i put a spare t-shirt in there i had an umbrella in there because i thought if i call an uber driver and i'm soaked i need something to sit on and my t-shirt i know will be wet so i need a spare t-shirt and I did need that spare T-shirt. It was absolutely drenched. If you look at my Twitter profile, you see a picture of me at the end of the run. Absolutely drenched. My T-shirt was soaking. Wettest part run I've ever done. So I sneaked behind a tree so as not to frighten the birds. Uh, changed my T-shirt. And so I looked reasonably dry. And I sheltered under the tree until my Uber driver came to get me, take me back. Showered very quickly. Dressed. And I was back to 20 books to catch the, the talk that I really didn't want to miss. And that was the one about rapid release. I was there perfectly on time to get the rapid release talk. So I was very, very happy about that as well. I didn't miss anything uh, for skiving on the Saturday morning. I think um, a couple of things about the events. What I really regretted was not going for the whole thing. I'd been a bit of an old misery guts, really, about this one. In that I, I, I viewed it really as a writing retreat. And that that put me off that I, I people were talking about writing silently in rooms. And again, I go back to the fact, because I don't have a problem scheduling my writing, because I sit down, I do get the writing done. I don't sort of feel like I need a writing retreat. I don't feel like I need these the, these situations to to make myself write. So I'd kind of blank that when, when they'd advertised it and said, oh, it's two days of writing in your genre or whatever. And, and I'd, I'd sort of shut down a bit from that. I'd been a bit closed-minded with that. And then, actually, as I saw people gathering, what I realised about this event, and, and I've, I missed this and I'm kicking myself for it, really, is that the purpose was not to be doing the writing retreats. You didn't have to be doing the writing retreats. The purpose was within all the, the separate sessions that were taking place around those. So what I've seen in the 20 Books Edinburgh uh, Facebook group and, and for the three days after I left this week, is that there are experts there on BookBub ads, experts on Amazon ads, uh, editors there. And what they did is they had these lovely informal breakaway sessions where they were just working with small groups of people and teaching them. And I should have known this. You know, when I started going to internet marketing events, the first things that surprised me is that most of the people never actually went into the 
the sessions, the training sessions. They just sat outside in the bar. And that's where all the business was being done. That's where all the information was being done. It took me a little while to twig that with internet marketing. And to be honest with you, 20 books is the same thing now. All the business is being done, not in the rooms. It's being done outside the rooms. And and I missed a trick, I think, with this. I was an old misery guts thinking, no, I'm not, I'm not doing a writing retreat. See, that, those, that phrase, writing retreat, plays really negatively with me because it, it, it conjures up images of people going to exotic locations and, and you know, forcing 100 words out a day uh, be, because writing is so difficult. Because I don't have, that's not my experience of my writing. My experience of writing is, Sit in office, don't look out window, write 5,000 words. That's what I do. So I don't need a writing retreat. I don't need rewards. I don't need incentives. I'm, I'm self, I'm fortunate, I guess. I'm self-disciplined enough to do that. So, so that, the words writing retreat play negatively with me. And I, and I, and I wish they didn't. I should have been more open-minded about that because I saw lots of great things lots of learning opportunities that I missed because I didn't go for the two days beforehand and the three days afterwards. So, um, I, you know, I'm publicly declaring I was an old misery guts and I should have gone to those. I should have gone for all of the days. Frankly, the price wasn't much different and I should have done it. So I, I've learned a little lesson there and I, I sort of want to share that with you. I thought, oh, let's just go for the nuggets. Let's go for the teaching. But there was so much more to it than that. And in actual fact, I think you could have gone. And in fact, I, I get the impression that many people went and didn't do the writing retreat element of it. They were retreating to rooms, talking to experts, picking the brains of people who just were, are doing amazing, amazing things. And that's where that, that value seemed to lie. So I think I missed an opportunity there and I shouldn't have done. So I, I need to learn a lesson with that one. But the... Part of the reason for that is I felt this one was, I found this one a bit more overwhelming than the last one. And I think that's because so many people have kind of piled into 20 books now. When I, when I went to London last year, I felt like we were all kind of going for the first time, that we didn't know each other, and that it was almost um, in our naivety. We gathered in London for 20 books last year. We didn't really know what to expect, and we didn't really know people there and in our naivety, we found that we were part of something amazing, absolutely amazing, that first London event. That's what I felt when I left it, that I'd been part of something that was just truly fantastic. One of the things I said when I left is that I found like I'd found, so I felt like I'd found my people. And I really did at that first 20 books event. And you'll know that I was going to go to this one and then I cancelled and, and then I, and then I went to it. And I think I think it's come of age in that it's it's almost got its own kind of personalities and celebrities now within that 20 books community. It used to be when we went to London, it was about Craig. It was pretty well about Martha Carr. It was about Michael Andalay. They were kind of the, the celebrities at, at the top of 20 books. And that was that was fantastic. Um, and, and they shared, you know, brilliantly and, 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 and beautifully and diffusively. But this time, it, it, it almost felt like it was a bit of a bun fight to me. Now, I, I know that a lot of people say that they are nervous of social situations and things like that. And I, I don't find them easy. I don't, I don't relish um, social prospects like that. And, uh, you know, even my dad never got that. My dad could never understand why I could speak to thousands of people on the radio on a radio show and then claim that I was 
shy and, and not didn't relish social situations. Um, but what my dad never got is that a lot of people who do radio and podcasts do it because it enables them to control the talking situation. I, in radio, I ask the questions and you kind of have um, status isn't the right word, but you kind of have immediate status when you're asking the questions you know, because you're kind of in charge, you're managing the conversation and there the arrangement is that they answer the questions and bizarrely however bizarre that might sound to you that's actually a controlled conversational situation for somebody who doesn't really like social situations uh, being in charge and being proactive and having that inverted common status in that situation actually makes it a lot easier um, I'd be interested to know if other podcast hosts can concur with that. It's a lot less frightening than going into a room full of strangers and, and having to make uh, conversation. So, um, I, you know, I felt a little bit intimidated by it, to be honest with you, because it felt like there were loads of kind of celebrities, loads of people doing well, loads of people that everybody seemed to know. And it just felt a little bit more intimidating for me this time going into that situation. So I, uh, I'm kicking myself. I don't think I made the best of it. I don't think, I think I was a little bit intimidated by it, all the kind of, because I, you know, I don't pile in on social media. I, I watch everything on 20 books, but I very rarely comment because I'm, sounds ridiculous, isn't it? I'm too self-conscious of, uh, of doing that. That this is why, um, you know, I don't really sort of do social, um, social media. Uh, I always feel uncomfortable about it. So, you know, I think, what I should have done is just said, well, what what the heck, WTF, I should have just piled in there and, and, and embraced it. And I think I would have got more from it. So I am feeling that I missed a bit of an opportunity this time around. I'm, I'm kicking myself a little bit with that. But of the bits I attended, I thought it was great. It, it's made me consider the Las Vegas event too. Um, I'd like to go to Las Vegas anyway, wouldn't you? Wouldn't we all? And um, I am thinking, is it November Las Vegas? And I'm sort of thinking, Ooh, could I swing that at the last minute? I just need to, uh, what is it? It's about, I think you can get plane tickets for about £500 return, five or £600. Anybody else got cheaper if you're heading out there? Any way I can get to Las Vegas that's nice and cheap? Let me know your tips. I don't think the hotels are expensive when you're out there. I think you can get hugely expensive hotels, but I don't think, I think you can get cheap accommodation out there too. But I'm kind of half thinking about it. I'm thinking, well, you know, if this rapid release plays out in only a small way, I might do that. So I am, I'm, it's at the back of my mind. I'm half thinking about it. Um, not committed yet. And it would be a last minute thing if I did. I have to see how the rapid release is going. Um, there was also talk of going to Oxford next year. Now, it was tongue in cheek because they'd always said they wouldn't do another UK event. But there was talk of doing an event in Oxford. Now, Oxford is probably about the worst place I could possibly go to from Cumbria. It's like Leicester. Le Leicester's like the worst. From where I am, it's, it's just one of those places where you can't get a direct train. You've got to go somewhere first and then go across country. And driving isn't direct either. So Oxford's like the worst place you could get to from, from Cumbria. If um, in the way that Edinburgh is brilliant for me, it was just an hour on the train, an hour and 10 minutes on a train and it's direct and there are no changes and the trains aren't busy. Um, Oxford is just a nightmare journey, just like Leicester is. No easy way to get there. So um, Oxford, I'd have to think about, but there was there was talk about that. So if, you, if you're interested, if I've inspired you to check out 20 Books, or if you're in that part of the world, make sure you join the 20 Books to 50K Facebook group so you'll know about that as soon as they announce it. 
And I'm definitely going to attend Mark Dawson's London event. I mean, I know he hasn't confirmed that yet, but I, I'm pretty sure that'll happen. It sounds like they've got enough people there. I think they're just working out who the guests might be. I am waiting for an announcement on that, but I've, I've even, I mean, I'm so sure of that. I've even gambled by booking the hotel. I've booked a hotel while it's nice and cheap and they're not all booked up on booking.com and I've booked it in anticipation that Mark's event will be I think it's on the Monday and then it'll be London Book Fair Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and again I've got this sense at London Book Fair that I'm being an old misery guts in that I've said oh no I don't do London Book Fair and the reason for that is I did it was it four years ago it was the first year that I did Secret Bunker must be four years ago now and I went and I went at the end of the last day and it felt like everybody was packing up and they'd all lost the will to live and I'd paid about £150 or something to get my secret bunker book on one of these shelves. And I got a picture of me by the shelf. And it was like, wow, talk about what a way. It was when I was learning all these early lessons. And they, I didn't really go to any talks because it was too late. I uh, probably went to a couple. And they were good. And the only stand I really went to was the Kindle stand. And I remember saying to them, I think I must have had my secret bunker books in create space at that time. And I remember saying to them, can you not put the books so I can get them delivered from the UK? It costs a fortune to get the proof. So I remember having that conversation with them. Uh, and I didn't really know anybody either at the time. And then in, in the three intervening years, you, there's loads of people that I know there now. I, I know obviously I'm, I, I'm better known within that industry. So I felt like a, a bit of an old misery guts with London Book Fair too. So I thought, right, this, this year I'm, I'm going to go. I might not be there for all three days, but I have booked a hotel so I could be there for all three days. But again, the value of going is not for the event itself. It's for the meetings and the conversations that you have around it. And I, you know, I of all people should know that because I, I learned that at, at internet marketing events as well. And it's the same with the author events. That's where the true value lies. Not in London Book Fair, but all the people you're going to meet and go for coffee with and have food with and have conversations with around that. So that's booked in. Hotel's booked. Just waiting for Mark Dawson to announce that event and I'll get my ticket straight away. I want to be in on that one. So I just wanted to mention the highlights for me of the 20 Books event. So there were lots of sessions over the Saturday and Sunday. Um, so, of course, the one that I, I just got there for in the nick of time after my park run was the, um, was it the rapid release? No, it was the author collaboration. I forgot now. But anyhow, I got there in time for the one that I wanted. So I think it was author collaboration. I, I'm getting the order mixed up. But the, the highlights for me were they did um, a rapid release session. Really, really good. Talking about the time scales and the techniques for that. There was an Amazon ad session. And every time I hear somebody talking about Amazon ads, I keep thinking, Paul, just you need to spend some time on this. You need to. You need to wrestle this beast with Amazon ads because I, I just keep doing it half-assed. Um, the, the non-fiction ones work. I'm selling books and I'm at a profit on the, uh, the fiction books as well, but I never look at it. I'm just, I'm terrible with this. And I, it really did make me think to myself, should I outsource this? The more and more I do this, there are parts of the brain, I think, that, 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 are good at tasks and parts of the brain that are bad at tasks. And I've said to you before that I love the creative, I love the writing, I like I like to plan the books, but I don't like to edit it. To me, that's a nitpicky kind of thing. And I, I just want to be creative loving. I don't want to do that nitpicky part. I'd rather just sign that over to somebody and say, there you go, look, I've been creative. Uh, I've come up with the characters, the scenes, the plots, the you know, the threading bit. Now polish it up and make it nice for me. I'm not really interested in that bit. I know i got to do it, but I'm not interested in it. And, and it's the same with keywords. 
I'm just not interested in it. It's a part of the brain that isn't switched on for me. And I have to force it and I'm half arsed with it and I don't enjoy it. Uh, that's just how it is. And um, that's how I feel about Amazon ads. I want the results. Um, what is it? I want I want the baby without the birth pains. <laughs> that's, that's what I want, basically, uh, when it comes to ads. And I am thinking, should I just be paying this? Should I outsource this? Just let somebody else take care of it. So I, I really am beginning to move along those lines with my advertising. Um, but, you know, clearly, if you outsource it, I need to pay someone who's going to get me results, not somebody who's going to take my money and not get me results. So, I, I'm, you know, if you know somebody who does this at an affordable price uh, and who's got a good track record of results, let me know if you would, because I am getting into the zone where I'm beginning to think I just need to be paying somebody to do this. It's a, a job that I need to outsource because it's so painful for me. I just need to pay someone who gets off on that kind of thing. Anyhow, the Amazon ad session was good. The collaborations session was good. Um, there was, um, Barry Hutchinson was supposed to be there. He couldn't make it. So they dropped in a gentleman called Gerald M. Kilby, who I, I hadn't heard of before, but he was very entertaining. And he gave a talk on self-publishing success. I really enjoyed that talk. Uh, and it was amusing too. Also strong were the building a brand and a fan base session by somebody called Dakota, Dakota Kraut. Uh, Dakota is, is like one of these, 20 book celebrities. I have to admit, I wasn't, he wasn't on my radar, but he's one of these guys who's a build, building an amazing business, um, you know, building worlds, collaborating with other writers, just doing a great job. So that was very interesting as well. Um, and there was a being productive session while holding a full time job down. Now, again, productivity sessions, I, that doesn't mean I'm close to it. I'm always, I always want to hear what people say about productivity, but it's not something that I struggle with. But it, I found it really interesting to hear the three speakers talking about how they stayed uh, productive. That was really interesting, particularly during a full-time full time day job. And Michael Andale's uh, keynote streets, trying try to get my words out. I've been up since five, everybody. I'm slurring now. Michael, Andalo, Michael Andale's keynote speech was also really um, interesting. Now, you know, I could listen to Michael and Craig just, just talk, just talk about what they do. Same with Michael Carr. Whenever those people speak... There's gold dust in the room. Um, and I, I just, you know, I, they could talk about anything and I would learn from it. So always good to hear that. So I got a lot of value, got a lot of value, um, out of all the talks and actually listing them there. I attended more of the talks than I thought I had because I'd been late on the Saturday. Um, I, I did attend more talks than I thought I had. So that, that was great. The other thing I just wanted to mention before I wind up this bit about 20 books is that the, the resource that was the buzzword at that event was reader links. Now I'm sure I've looked at reader links before and then I've, I've discounted it. I've sort of thought, Oh no, actually um, it's the sort of service. It's an, it's an Amazon ad service. Effectively it supports you with your Amazon ads, but I'd looked at it. And I think, I think if you pay full price for it, it's about $20 a month. And I'd looked at the price of it and thought, Hmm, that's not the sort of service that you turn on for a month and then you turn off. You really want to be buying it for a year if you buy reader links. But they gave away a uh, promotion code. In actual fact, if you're if you're in Mark Dawson's training, it's on his VIP. You get a promotion code for it in, from Mark Dawson. And if you were at 20 Books Edinburgh, there's a promotion code going for it there as well. So if you're involved in either of those groups, you'll have a promo code for it, which really drops the price. So it's something like $20 a month I think over the year, if you get it full price, but if you use a promo code, it's nine. If you get it for the year as well, it's nine dollars a year. So you're now you're now looking at one hundred and twenty dollars for the year 
and um, and that's what 100 quid so i don't mind paying 100 quid for a software service for a year that helps me with amazon ads so it, it's kind of coming i'm thinking now right i'm going to get that so i am going to spend some time tomorrow saturday uh looking at reader links burrowing into it and probably i'll probably pay for it for the year i gotta get one of the big messages i got from 20 books this year is i gotta get Amazon ads. I got to get on top of Amazon ads and BookBub ads, and I got to do this seriously um, because that's providing a lot of traffic and a lot of sales for people. I can't, I just treat it as an afterthought. I set it off. I put my budgets on it. I am I am running at a profit, but I got to scale it up. I got to I got to make um, more money from it. And it's quite clear to me that there is still money to be made on Amazon ads, and I got to push through that resistance. So. That's the message, the real big message I took from this. I've got to keep pushing on Amazon ads. And the message that I want to share with you is please check out Reader Links, readerlinks.com, because that was the buzzword software that everybody was talking about. The other thing I've heard a lot of talk, people talking about is BookBrush, by the way, which is a software that I have recommended to you before. BookBrush is a way of creating great graphics for social media and for your BookBub ads. And I highly recommend that to you as well. So that's my summary of 20 books. Fabulous to see you if I if I met you there. Uh, hope to see you at another author event soon. I've got to resolve not to be a misery gut. So I've got to keep that mind open, Paul. Keep that mind open all the time. Growth mindset, not closed. And I wish I'd gone for the whole week. Kicking myself about that, but I should have gone for the whole week. And Amazon ads and reader links. That's, those are kind of the hits and highlights from 20 books this year. Okay, now for people like Edwin Downward, who was lamenting the fact that I might, I said I might be doing shorter episodes. This is at 54 minutes already. We're going to break an hour, Edwin, this week. Just, I just want you to clock that. Um, because even though I said they were going to be short, this is going to be a long one. Because I haven't even got to my general news yet. I've still got some general news to give you. And there's a few items to tell you about that. So you might want to get some Horlicks on or a cup of tea or coffee or whatever your chosen poison is. Because there's another probably 20 minutes left of this yet while I'm yakking on. So apologies for that if you don't like the long ones, and uh, hurrah if you do like the long ones. So in general news this week, my thriller covers have arrived, and wow, 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 how good are these thriller covers? Um, when you when you get your covers, so Stuart Bash has delivered the covers for me now. We were just doing the last toing and froing, changing text, just changing some colours on them, changing some images on them. We were doing that this week, and Stuart's delivered them to me really fast. But he's delivered six covers. These things, I'm not, I haven't got the bill yet, but they're going to cost me about £2,000. So I'm paying a lot for these covers. But let me just say, when those covers arrived, it was an instant wow. The covers are so good that I'm, I'm almost embarrassed by the books inside them. Do you know, do you know what I mean by that? I, I mean, I'm not embarrassed by the books inside them, but I, I almost feel like my writing isn't worthy of the covers. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm not putting myself down by that, but the covers are just brilliant and so professional. I'm almost thinking, I hope they don't, I hope my book doesn't let the cover down. They're just brilliant. I've put them on the resources page for this week. So they're at uh, selfpublishingjourneys.com. And if you look up, depends when you're listening to this, if you just look up Paul's podcast diary 164, you'll see those covers, but they're just excellent. And this is why. You pay someone like Stuart Bache. I sent him an email. Um, I gave him the blurbs. I told him the sort of look and feel I was after. And clearly, Stuart's already done the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. So I've got nine of his covers now. They just look blooming brilliant when they're lined up together. They, 
um, I, I impressed my one of my children this week because I said Stuart Bache has he, my my middle child likes to read the uh, Stephen King books, loves Stephen King books. I showed, I was showing Stuart Bache's website where you can see all the Stephen King books that he did. I think they were in the UK and my my son was getting really excited about these Stephen King books and the fact that my covers were being done by Stuart Bache. But, you know, I said to the kids, the kids have said, £2,000, £2,000 for covers, that's outrageous. But, you know, this is something you've got to get your head around, is that when you pay somebody for a job, you pay them, for their experience, the years and years and years of experience that they've got. That's what you're paying for. And you can't put a price on that. You're paying them for their expertise. You're paying for them for their sure hand. So it's not expensive. It's expensive to get the wrong person doing the job. It's not expensive to get the right person doing the job. And when you look at those covers that Stuart's delivered, wow. I mean, they, I, I honestly, I love, I love my covers i'm looking at those covers and you look at the rubbish that i produced that's what an amateur does the kind of covers that i did and the covers that i did funny enough you know they're they're not as amateurish as covers get um they're 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 not even half decent they're quarter decent the covers i get they're, they're not as bad as the ones that use the kindle cover creators you know the ones with the templates in at least they're a step up from those but i know my covers are rubbish but Stuart's fantastic i'm i can't tell you how pleased and excited i am by those covers the thought that i'm going to be rapid releasing my books with those covers on me wow i'm just delighted with them so um do have a look at the stuart base covers we we only made a few tweaks to them there was one of the covers a cu- couple of the things uh, if you have a look at the cover for oh what's it called it's not going to come to me now come on what's it called the cover for just excuse me while i navigate to the right page so I can see them. The, the one that was, no, it's the one I'm writing two years after, the cover for two years after. If you look at the cover for two years after, there's a lady there staring out of, a, of an office window. And that's perfect. The mood, the feel, the cover, beautiful, 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 uh, spot on. But I said to Stuart, uh, that, that book is set in the UK. And originally the, the outlook from that window it didn't feel like it was UK. And I'm just writing that book now. So the setting doesn't matter where the setting is. But I said to Stuart, could you change the view out the window to a London view? And he's changed it to a London view. He just literally, everything was exactly the same. He just changed it to a London view. I'm looking at it now and I'm thinking, yep, absolutely perfect. Uh, the other thing I said to Stuart about two years after was that the, the catchphrase, the, 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 the tagline. At the moment, the tagline is going to work could be hell. I don't, I'm not, I'm not happy with that tagline. I said to Stuart, look, I'm just writing this book at the moment. Uh, you know, finding my way into it. And I'm not quite happy with that tagline. Can we, can we change it? If I, if I, I you know, by the time I've written at the end of August, I, I'll probably have a much better tagline on it than that. Are you all right to just change it? And he said, yes, you can change that tagline. So I'm pleased about that because I'm just not happy with that tagline. It's fine. It'll hold. It's not terrible, but I haven't quite found that tagline. Um, Dead of Night, absolutely. Oh, wow. What a cover. I love the way. The figure on Dead of Night. I love the colouring of it. I love the way the lady's sort of backlit by the headlights. I love the colouring of the text. Wow, 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 wow. Love Dead of Night. Um, also, Friends Who Lie. Now, this was a cover I struggled with. And interestingly, I didn't get many reviews on it because I didn't make many sales on it. But the one, one of the re- reviews I got, I, I upheld in that it was, I, I thought it was a fair, it was fair enough. It was a review that I read and I thought, yeah, you're right. That's absolutely right. So, the Stuart has just got this one absolutely right. So it's a female-led thriller. 
and it's set in Benidorm. And the feedback that I got from the cover that I gave it was the cover doesn't match the story. That's not what I expected with the story. And, and, it, and they were absolutely right. My, my cover, my cover was quite good for a Paul's amateur cover, but it was not, it was a good general thriller cover, but it was not the story that I'd written. That, that feedback was absolutely right. I took that on board. So when I gave Stuart his brief, I said, I'm a bit stuck with this one and that this one, the main action is, is based in Benidorm. Um, and it's a female led thriller, but I don't really know what to do. But you know, Stuart with his firm hand, oh, I just love it. Have a look at the cover for Friends Who Lie. I love the female silhouette he's got on there. It's perfect. And he's just got this kind of, um, merged image of Benidorm, the beach there. It just, oh, it just works beautifully. I, lo- I love that cover. You just got that one in one. So very happy with that. And then No More Secrets. This is the book that was Burden of Guilt again. Oh, it's just a brilliant cover. I just said to him, that's perfect. No, no tweaks. I love it. I love the color. I love the green of it. He's just got the little cottage. I know, I know that your, your cover is supposed to create a mood and feel. And, and one of the scenes has my protagonist at a little croft, a converted croft in the Highlands in that book. And he's got a silhouetted female figure near a croft. And you're not supposed to tell the story on the cover. And this is why I don't want to show faces, but, but he's got the mood and the feel of that perfect. I love the cover for No More Secrets. And that's one of the books. It's made me think, I just maybe need to tweak that book a, a bit. I, I'm going to do my, my re-edit on that book. And I might just, the story's brilliant, but I, I'm not quite, so I, by brilliant, I mean, I'm happy with it. It's really exciting and it builds nicely. I love the characters, but I, I, I with time, I always wondered whether, the end wasn't quite right. It's just the last sentence. It's literally the last sentence. So I might, I'm, I'm pleased I've got a chance to review that, but that, that's really a cover that I look at and think, I love that cover so much. Is my, the book I've written, is it worthy of the cover? Um, so I do, I'm, I'm pleased I got a chance to re-edit that because I just want to consider that one. The cover for La- One Last Chance again. Now, this was interesting because the cover was brilliant. I absolutely loved the cover. Um, it was originally, it was orange. But um, Stuart has recolorized it now. And I, I sent that one back with queries on it because I, I love the male silhouette he's got on One Last Chance. Now, this is the book that was One Fatal Error. And originally on the, the dodgy cover that I created, I had a, a picture of a woman uh, in the sea, which I which I also worked for me as an image. But of course, my cover was rubbish uh, because I've got no design skill. So originally, the cover for One Last Chance was orange. And, and the, the umbrellas and the, the sun loungers, it looked very tropical. And I said to Stuart, look, I, I love that color. I really, really love the way you've got a guy there, a guy silhouette. It's the only one of my books that has a guy silhouette. That's perfect. Be- beautiful, beautiful. Um, but I just said it, it feels a bit tropical to me. And this book is set on, it's set in the UK. So it's UK sea conditions but it does have that the, the forts the solent forts if you look at the imagery there they they are luxury they do have um you know spa pools what do they call them these outside pools that people have that are sitting in the summer in the uk and it does have sun lounges it does have all of that that kind of that luxury feel but it's not tropical and i said i said sent stuart a picture i said do you think maybe we need a picture of one of the forts in there and stuart had said well i i, I thought about that but I, I thought that it looked too dystopian. It didn't look thriller. And I thought, yeah, you're right there because of the way the, 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 the forts look. They look, they do, they would look dystopian. I, I agreed with him on that. So he said, why don't we try some different coloring? 
and he changed the colouring from orange to a, a kind of blacky grey, and instantly um, that book looks right. It's absolutely right, exactly the same as it was, except he's taken the orange out and he's, he's made it black and grey, and it looks perfect. It just needed to look UK-ish rather than tropical, and it, and it's absolutely right there. So I love that book. It's re- it's really great. It's all it took was a, a colourisation. I'd really love to use the original orange colouring that he used. I said to him, I'll have to write a tropical book again because I loved the colouring. It just wasn't the right colouring for that book. And as for So Many Lies, now So Many Lies has only had a dodgy cover that I created for it and my cover was wrong. I oh, I love the cover for So Many Lies. Again, it was perfect first time. I pretty well sent him three, three of the six covers back and said they're perfect uh, first time out the gate. I love So Many Lies. If you have a look at that cover, So Many Lies is set on a tropical island. It's like a family get together on a tropical island that you can hire. And it's, um, again, I, I didn't really know what to do. I just love what what Stuart's done with this. It's got the feeling of Jaws, almost like you're watching this island from afar and you can see the waves. I I, I just love what he's done because the whole point of me sticking them on this island is that they're alone, they're not contactable and they're stuck until the situation resolves itself. People can't just, the police can't just turn up. Their mobile phones don't work. It's, it, it was a scenario this is why i use the forts as well the solent forts it's very hard with thrillers to put people in a situation where they can't just call the police on a mobile phone why wouldn't you just google it and and so the reason i use solent forts and the reason i put my family on a tropical island was to isolate them in the way that agatha christie did in one of my favorite books and then there were none she puts them on an island and isolates them that they need to be cut off and it's actually quite hard to cut people off in in the modern world Stuart's just got that bang on I love that cover for so many lives absolutely beautiful and also the, the cover for two years after so we made a couple of changes uh what do we what do we change we changed only one last chance colorization and we changed the image that she's looking out of the window at in two years after otherwise I pretty well accepted those covers as they came really really lovely work from Stuart so so pleased with that I can't tell you how pleased I am uh, with those covers and to, to be going into a, a rapid release launch with covers like that just feels just boosts boost your confidence I think it was really well worth getting those done so just got to get that tagline right for two years after but I got a month to sort that out and as I write the book as I distill I know what that book's about, but you kind of distill it when you write it. When I've distilled that, I will get that tagline right. It's it's kind of almost there. It's in the ballpark. I just haven't quite nailed it yet. Um, I did say that I would tell you, I've been teasing you this for ages. I did tell you that I would let you know how I got on with my BookBub submission. So I submitted the BookBub. I think it was, was it the Thursday or the Wednesday before I went to 20 books? I actually knew on the Friday, but not soon enough to tell you in this diary. So... The grid one has been rejected for a book bub. They they knocked it back, and that's just how it goes, isn't it? I'll just keep submitting it. I can't submit the the grid, not the grid, the secret bunker. I can't submit that now uh, for another six months because it's just had its book bub. So I will be submitting the grid one, and I will be submitting Don't Tell Meg at the same time and interestingly if I just have a look at my schedule I'm sure this is right if I remember correctly yeah this is really interesting I can resubmit don't tell Meg on the 25th of August and I can resubmit the grid one 
on the 26th of August. So at the end of this month, before we start September, I'm going to be submitting two of my books to BookBub over two days. So I've been waiting for Don't Tell Meg to come out of its six-month moratorium. So that will be out on the 25th of August. So I'll be trying to get a Don't Tell Meg. And if I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, if I'm really, really, really lucky with Don't Tell Meg, they'll give me a BookBub on it before my rapid release starts. That would be really good if they did that. Really help get my author name up there before I even start rapid release. So BookBub, the BookBub gods, if you're listening, please let me have that next BookBub. Uh, I really want, that's what I really want to get. Most of them I sort of think, ah, oh, you know, I'll take it or leave it. I, I don't quite feel that way. I always hope I'm going to get one, but it's not the end of the world if I don't. I really, really, really want to get the, the Don't Tell Meg book bub that I submit on the 25th of August. And then I can submit the grid again on the 26th. And again, that, that, the grid, I'd like to get it. Of course I would, because it means a good earning month, but it's not the end of the world if I don't. That's really how I sort of feel about that. So, um, Back to the drawing board, as far as that's concerned. I recorded an interview with Bill Cocos this week. Uh, when was that, Bill? When did we do that? Tuesday. We recorded that on Tuesday. Now, Bill, if you recall, uh, Bill's been on my radar for ages. He's uh, another podcast listener. He's in the US. Uh, we've talked over Twitter, email, all, all, all the usuals, um, this community that you build around a podcast. So, so I've known Bill for some time uh, online, and uh, Bill volunteered to edit my Now You See Her book. Uh, when I was talking about the American references, Bill said, well, I'm, I'm in America. I'm familiar with the UK. I'm familiar with Europe. I'm very happy to go through that book for you and just sense check your, your terminology, the words that you use. And Bill did that and it ended up being a first edit for me, which I was very grateful for. And I said to Bill, um, we need to talk for the podcast. Bill, Bill's kind of been, there's all these people on my radar for the podcast, for for potential guests so basically if you contact me and you've got books self-published my little my little bell goes ding and I sort of think "Mm -hmm," a potential guest and I check you out online I think right well that's somebody I need to talk to in the future and Bill's been on that list for quite some time so I said to Bill look let's let's talk let's do this interview for the podcast so I did his author interview on Tuesday and that's actually a quite a fast turnaround for me because that interview is going to be going out on Monday the 5th it's a very fast turnaround for me but I but I, I always say to my guests at the end of the interview and I'll just let you know when that interview is going out and when I said to Bill oh that's going out on Monday I need to uh, move my butt and get that edited that was a bit of a surprise for me and um, I hadn't thought it was that soon so Bill's running on um on Monday but I recorded an extra 20 minutes at the end of the interview where I was just talking to Bill about my editing um, and that's going to go in a podcast diary that's going to go on the 17th of August now Bill is the only person on earth other than my wife to see my first draft writing he got it before I'd even looked at it uh, because that's how I deliver it to my wife and so he's edited a full 75,000 word book for me or he's done the first you know pass edit like I have um, on, on a book. And so I thought, I've got to talk to him about that. I've got to say, what's my writing like? What are my faults? What are my good points? So we recorded 20 minutes of that. And I'm going to drop that into a future podcast diary. It's already edited and ready to go. It's going to go on Saturday, the 17th of August. And I also um, emailed Julie Cordiner, who's now, well, she's, she's, I know she's part of the way through now you see her. She's editing now you see her. She might have um, gone through it by the time we talk and she's fully edited 
my Left for Dead book. So Julie has also done some editing for me and said that she would be happy to jump on for 20 minutes and just record a bit about all my terrible faults and, uh, you know, what's good about what I write, what's bad about what I write, um, because I just figured it would be a really useful experience. Um, I, you know, I, it's quite painful for me to hear it, but you've got to learn, haven't you? So I just thought it would be really interesting to get that kind of end of term report, as I'm calling them, uh, that the teachers report and say, well, what's the good, the bad and the ugly of my writing from an editor's point of view. So I'll be recording Julie. When are we recording Julie? On next Tuesday, the 6th. And then Julie's interview will run. It just depends on the length of the podcast, but it's either going to go on the 26th of August or it will run on the 31st of August. I'm not quite sure. And um, so you'll be getting those extended interviews that are delving into my, my actual writing, the craft of my writing. As I say, the good, the bad, and uh, the ugly of that. So um, great recording with Bill. We've got two interviews out of that. The first of those is running on Monday. I just wanted to mention a couple of podcasts to you as well. Now, Dan Wilcox, who I've interviewed on this show before, I met Dan in person at 20 Books last year. And Dan was just about to start writing for Michael Andalay. So he's writing in Michael Andalay's universes. I'm not sure which one Dan is writing in. And Dan, uh, a month or so ago, announced that he's now making enough money to resign from his job and go full-time author, which is fantastic. Congratulations, Dan. I was on Dan's first podcast, and he's now relaunched his podcast because he wants to get back to that. And so he's now called the podcast Great Writers Share. And when we were chatting at 20 Books, he said, can I get you on the podcast sometime? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll If you've got a new podcast out, I'll subscribe to it and I'll obviously start listening to that. Um, Dan's great. He's he's in the early days of uh, writing um, for a living. You know, he can now sustain himself for a living. Dan's part of, oh, and it, you know these things always slip my mind when I need them. What are you part of, Dan? Dan is part of a group of writers who who, who work together. Oh, it was almost there and it went. Oh, I'm terrible at this. Uh, One consolation. Who was I talking to yesterday? I was talking to somebody who was young yesterday and they couldn't remember things too. And it just gave me some hope that it wasn't age that makes me forget all these things. It's just the the sheer number of things I got in my head. Um, Oh, Hawk and Cleaver. It came to me. It came to me. Hawk and Cleaver. Dan writes with Hawk and Cleaver, which is a group of four guys and they team up to, to, to write. Anyhow, Dan's got his own podcast now called Great Writers Share. He told me about it at 20 Books. When I was traveling back from Edinburgh, I listened to the first or the two launch episodes. I thought this is great. I like Dan. Got a lot of time for Dan. I like his style. He interviews well. And so I'm recommending it to you. Great Writers Share by Dan Wilcox. And he's got Michael Andale on this episode, this week's episode. I just arrived in my feed before I was about to record this. So that's the next podcast episode I'm listening to. And somebody else whose podcast I want to um, remind you about, I have bigged it up before, is Claire Sager's podcast, which is called Confessions of a First-Time Author. I had a word with Claire when I was there. I said, well, are you still doing the podcast? Because she's, she's left it for a bit while she's been busy doing other things and writing. And she said, yeah, I'm back. And she's back with a one-hour, 15-minute episode. And I looked at my feed, and I'd, I'd said to Claire, oh, I've unsubscribed from the feed when I was cleaning out. I'd thought that you would finish the podcast. And she said, oh, no, no, I'm still here. I'm still doing it um, just on a periodic basis. So Claire has a – and I highly recommend this to you. It's on my recommend list, Confessions of – a is it first time author yeah confessions of a first time author so a couple of podcasts there for you to make sure that's in the feed claire it's in my feed okay 
don't leave it six months next time. <laughs> I thought you'd gone. I thought you'd gone and left us and you're still there. So I love listening to Confessions of a First Time Author. It's a really nice podcast. And um, Claire was somebody I just, um, you never know it all. You never, ever, ever know it all. And you could always learn something from everybody. And um, Claire was telling me stuff and recommending books and resources that I hadn't thought of before. And I was learning a lot from it. So that's uh, Dan's and Claire's podcast. Highly recommended. Put them on your, put them on your podcast feed. Um, we're almost there. Of course, it's a long one, isn't it, this week? Um, if you were scared, Edwin, of me doing short ones, it's a long one, this. Um, I just wanted to let you know um, that I've now got the money that I needed to have allocated to pay for all the expenses that I, I had listed for um, rapid release. And I just wanted to, to talk you through that expenditure. So I've got £6,835 allocated in my business now for spends. And that sounds like a huge amount. And I'm looking at it thinking, you know, that would get me to Las Vegas if I spent that. Uh, it would get me to 20 books in Las Vegas. I could go on a lovely holiday if I took that out as income. There's so many things I could do if I took that near £7,000 out of my business. But I'm not going to spend it on my business because I am determined to give this rapid release my best shot. I am determined to get the books as good as they could possibly be, the covers as good as they could possibly be, and I'm determined to spend money on promotion. Um, so I'm going to spend that near £7,000, and that might take some people's breath away, but I'm going to spend it on getting those books right, as good as they can possibly be. So that the precise number is £6,835. I've now got the vehicle with money earned already, money that's coming in that I know that I'm going to get now. That money is is in the pot. It's not in my hand. It's in the pot. It's earned income. It's confirmed through my Amazon console and I know it's coming in. So let me break that money down to you. It might sound like an extraordinary amount of money. £3,100 of that is going to be on book covers. So £3,100 is on book covers. That might sound like an, a, a high amount, but it is. But when I look at Stuart Bache's covers there, and I think, wow, I love those covers. That's what I'm spending, £2,000 with Stuart Bache. Um, and I've got other covers. I've got a cover for Now You See Her that I have to pay for with Adam. That's a great cover too. And I'm getting another three covers done for my Walker Bay series. Now, eventually, I will get every cover that I've done as a standalone book. I will get it done by Stuart Bache eventually. But I can't quite stretch that now. So, for instance, if I took the money from my promo budget and mixed it with the budget that I've got for covers, I could say to Stuart, will you do me another three covers, Stuart? But I need to save some money for promo budget. So I'm going to get some cheaper covers first just so I can get those books out there on the time scale. The other thing is Stuart, Stuart's busy and wouldn't be able to fit me in for those books that I didn't think I was going to write. I wouldn't be able to get him. You can't just drop everything and do covers for you. So you have to schedule this stuff. So... My plan is if I make any kind of money on these rapid re-releases, I will get those books covered so that all my books, all my thrillers have Stuart-based covers, but I can't do that just yet. So um, I'm going to have um, my my expenditure. Sorry, I've just missed, messed this up a little bit. My expenditure on covers is £2,635. £2,635 on covers. That's going to give me nine covers. Nine covers I get for that money. I'm going to spend £3,100 of that on edits. That's going to be six books. And some of those books are at introductory prices. So £3,100 on edits for six books. They're not all 75,000 word books either. And £1,100 of that is for my initial promo budgets. For the first five or six books, 
And I have outlined that on a previous podcast. I have said uh, what my promotion budget is. Now, at the moment, having done that, having got all the books edited, I'm not going to release a book that hasn't been thoroughly edited. I'm not going to release a book that doesn't have a professional cover on. They haven't got my covers on. They've all got professional covers on. So I am, I am, re- I am releasing quality product when I do this rapid re- release. Every single book is going to be quality. Edited, properly edited, proper cover. No cheapo covers, no um, cost-saving edits on there. So I'm releasing the best stuff that I can. But now, having put that in the pot, my priority now is to accrue money for promotional expenses. So I've, I've got five or six weeks in there. And in my budgeting, I've assumed zero income. I've assumed that I don't sell a single book in this because I, I'm not even going to guess at that. I'm also listening to what Adam Nichols said to me, which is that he, when he promoted, the first five weeks did nothing. It was only after five weeks where he kept throwing traffic at these promotions that he was doing. It was only after five weeks that Amazon suddenly picked him up and started um, promoting him and moving him all over the place. So I have to assume also that I'm not going to make any money for the first five or six weeks. I am assuming zero income over five or six weeks. Now I make some income, but I'm not, I'm not, budgeting anything. I'm working on a basis of money in the pot that I know I've got. So that's how I'm going to spend £6,835. Any new money that I have coming in from this, so we're in a new month now, any new money that comes in is good to go on promotional costs. I want to have more money to throw at book promotions, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, and the other one that I've missed out, BookBub ads. I just want to throw money at adverts. Hopefully not throw and burn money, but I want to be able to throw money at adverts. So I'm not going to skimp on the advertising, particularly during those first five weeks. So I want to have budget in the pot. What I'm hoping is that after five to six weeks, I have new unbudgeted money in the pot. But I need to have a promo budget, so I can't just release them. So that's my next priority, to get that promo budget much, much higher. Okay, we're nearly there now. Blimey, I'm exhausted from this one. I was up at five today. I need an afternoon sleep after recording this one. And I just wanted to mention to you that the graphics for my Book Sweeps Thriller list building promo, that begins on Monday, incidentally. So even though it might, I'm off on holiday next week, or not holiday, but I'm off away next week. So even though I'm saying to you, there's not much going on next week, there is loads going on and there's still loads going on. It never stops. Um, But I have a Book Sweeps Thriller list building promo starting on Monday, the 5th of August. I've got my graphics. I do like the graphics they give you for Book Sweeps. I do want to recommend book sweeps to you if you're trying to build your list they have lovely genre specific uh, list building events and so I'm taking part in when I've paid for it it's about $30 something like that £30 $30 something like that it's not a huge expense but they always give you lovely graphics if you want to check out the lovely graphics they've given me have a look at selfpublishingjourneys.com episode 164 and finally ready for me lunch and I'm tired after this one it has been a long one. I've been yakking for a long time. Uh, this week's mentions uh, on social media. There are five social media posts added to the show notes this week. It's usually one or two, but there are five this week, five posts that I wanted to share with you. So rather than hunting on Twitter, if you just go to the show notes for this week, selfpublishingjourneys.com, scroll down to the bottom and you'll see all the social media posts. First of all, there is Edwin Downward, who is a regular contributor to this podcast. Edwin has um, done a really interesting post because, um, you know, these things get surreal. And, and uh, Edwin's a good guy. He always sort of spots these things. He spots the links. He makes interesting links. 
And he said, uh, obviously, I'm Jerry Evanoff on his podcast this week. He's talking about me. In my podcast this week, I'm talking about Jerry Evanoff. And so this virtual world has met the real world for the first time. So Edwin has posted for Jerry Evanoff and his sister. Here's a sideloaded comment to your podcast, tag teamed with Paul Teague via a picture of the route on which he listens to both of our podcasts during weekly commute. So there's a tweet of Edwin's car journey there. And Edwin listens to both Jerry and me when he's commuting. And of course, Jerry and I were sat together at Tony Books in Edinburgh. And that's a surreal experience for Edwin. So you're really good at making those links, Edwin. So thank you very much for putting that one uh, together. And thank you for your tweet. It's great to have Tim Lewis back in the seat. Tim, I, I missed you. I miss these these tweets. And um, Tim's walking in the forest again. Lovely forest walks. Lovely in the summary there. I really fancy that. That's a great park run, that is, uh, Tim. Don't know whether they do one near you, but it looks like a great place to go on a run, that does. Uh, but Tim's walking in the forest again. I hope he's not lost in the forest, but he's um, on one of his uh, regular uh, walks. So thank you very much, Tim. Back to listening to my show in the forest. I always appreciate these tweets that you send me to let me know where you're listening to the show and then I've got three other tweets this week so there's a picture of me with these kind of magic moments where I met people in IRL in real life so there's a picture of me um, and Sarah Painter there as well in the bar uh, at 20 bucks to 50k there's a picture of me actually they're both in the bar now I think about it I only had two pints of cider over the whole weekend honestly um, there's a picture of me and Sarah Painter in the bar there's a picture of me and Jerry in the bar as well uh, Jerry Evanoff and also, there's a picture of Stuart Bache's 20 books presentation. And I'm there's a picture of Don't Tell Meg in the slides there. So actually, there's quite a good little advantage to this in terms of your prominence. Because when you get somebody like Stuart Bache, who is, everybody talks to him. Joanne Penn talks to him. He's at 20 books, 50k. Um, you know, he's, he's a showbiz uh, book cover designer. Um, Stuart Bache then does presentations and webinars. And because I've had book covers produced by Stuart Bache. I get to go on his showreel, if you want, his, his pictures of his work, and I also get to go on his slides. So that's another unseen benefit of having books created by Stuart Bache. So I've done a, I've shared a tweet with you um, on the show notes for this week, 164, episode 164, and uh, you'll be able to take a look at those if you navigate over to the show notes right now. I think this might be the longest one I've done without a break. I, my wife's supposed to be bringing a pie back from Greg's. She hasn't messaged me yet to say it's here, but I'm starving. I'm ready for this pie when it comes. So coming up next week on the podcast diary. Well, on Monday before that, it's the monthly episode, the interview episode of Self-Publishing Journeys. I'll be chatting to Bill Kokos. Bill is a writer of humorous suspense novels, and he's the very brave man who gave my most recent book, Now You See Her, its first look over. So the episode, it's an interview episode, remember, just the interview about Bill and his writing and how he got into writing. Interestingly, Bill uh, writes ad copy for a living, so we have a really interesting conversation about things like Amazon ads and, and uh, writing copy for ads. So uh, Bill is coming up on Monday. It'll drop on your feed uh, first thing on Monday morning. Uh, 5th of August and I will have the next diary update for you next Saturday and that's a special too so I'm not going to have very much author news for you this week and to compensate for that you've got wait for it another hour and a half episode it's one of my specials um, and I, I'm actually talking to people I know a few people really enjoy the specials that I do it from time to time but this is a specially extended episode next Saturday of the diary and it's titled 15 things I changed my mind about in self-publishing 
so you'll have a brief update of my weekly news. I'm going to be recording it on Tuesday or Wednesday night, so I'm not going to have an awful lot of news to share with you, but you'll get my bang up to date news from that point. And then we'll segue into this one and a half hour. I think it's about one and a half hours, even edited down of 15 things I changed my mind about in self-publishing. I really enjoyed recording that. I hope you'll enjoy listening to it. That's it. Where's my Greg's pie? I'm starving. That's it for this week's podcast, Dari. I'm off for a pie and a cup of tea. I'm exhausted now. Getting up at 5am really doesn't suit me. I might have an afternoon nap today. In the meantime, whatever you're doing, writing, editing, whatever it is, have a great week of writing. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.